Chapter Seventeen of Three People by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen Translations. There was an evening party at the house of the Reverend John Burge, not one of those grand crushes where everybody is cross and warm and uncomfortable generally, but a cosy little gathering of young ladies and gentlemen people whom the minister desired to see come into more social contact with each other. Among the number was Miss Dora Hastings. Dora still continued to come to Sunday school, though she had arrived at that mysterious age when young ladies are apt to be too old for anything reasonable. But Dora, for some unaccountable reason, so at least her mother thought, clung to her little girl habits and went to Sunday school so she chanced to be numbered among the guests at Mr. Burge's party. Pliny was also invited, but had chosen not to come, so Ben Phillips had supplied his place as escort, and stood now chatting with her when a new arrival was announced. Mrs. Burge came to the end of the room where Dora stood, and with her a young gentleman. "'Dora,' she said, "'permit me to introduce a young friend of mine,' Mr. Mallory, Miss Hastings. Now it so happened that although Theodore had been for years a member of the same Sabbath school with this young lady, and had seen her sitting in the Hastings pew in church on every Sabbath day, still this was the first time that he had met her face to face, near enough to speak to her, since that evening so long ago when they conversed together on a momentous subject. Theodore's knowledge of the world and social distinctions had increased sufficiently to make him extremely doubtful concerning the young lady's reception. But Dora was cordial and frank, and said, "'Good evening, Mr. Mallory,' as she would have greeted any stranger and set him at once at his ease. Ben Phillips good-naturedly held out his hand and said, "'How do you do, Toad?' and made room for him to enter the circle. It was a curious evening to the young man, the first in that mysterious place called society. Probably the young ladies and gentlemen fluttering through the rooms had not the faintest idea how closely they were being watched and studied by one pair of earnest eyes. Theodore's ambition for a yellow cravat had long since given place to more important things, given place so utterly that the subject of dress had been almost entirely passed over. Before this evening waned, he was thoroughly conscious of his position. He discovered that his clothes were oddly fitted and oddly made, that his boots were rough and coarse, that his hands were gloveless, that even his hair was as curiously arranged as possible. He discovered more than this, to many of the gay company he was evidently a laughing-stock. A few of the more reckless ones deliberately and openly made sport of him. Ben Phillips, who had been cordial enough at first, found himself on the unpopular side and ignored the almost stranger for the remainder of the evening. In vain did Mr. Burge try quietly to bring him inside the circle those of his guests who were too cultured to make merry at the expense of this foreign element which had come among them, yet seemed not to have sufficient courage to welcome him to their midst, those with whom he sat down frequently at the table of their common lord, 
seemed neither to know nor to desire to know him here and mr burge's effort to assimilate the different elements of his congregation seemed likely to prove a disastrous failure a merry company were gathered around dora hastings she held a book in her hand and was struggling with the translation of a sentiment written therein in french and judging from the bursts of laughter echoing from the group the attempt was either a real or pretended failure theodore stood at a little distance from them perfectly able to hear what was said yet as utterly alone as he would have been out in the silent street what terrible stuff she is reading he said to himself i wonder if she really cannot read it or if she has any idea of what it is as if to answer his wondering dora turned suddenly toward him we'll appeal for help she said gaily mr mallory do come to the rescue my french is defective or the translation is incorrect probably the latter another burst of laughter followed this appeal but theodore taking a sudden resolution stepped promptly forward i conclude he said glancing at the book and then looking steadily around him that you really do not take in the meaning of this sentence any of you i am sure i do not answered dora gaily it is about everlasting eyes i think or some such nonsense but what little i once knew about french and little enough it was i assure you has utterly gone from me so have compassion on our ignorance if you can without further comment theodore with quiet dignity read the sentence the eyes of the lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good as he finished his eye caught dora's her face was flushed and eager you are right she said promptly we none of us understood the sentence or we could never have indulged in foolish jesting over so solemn a truth ben phillips gave vent to his astonishment in words toad how on earth did you learn french dora laughed lightly he studied i presume she said merrily and that you know is what you never would do ben mr mallory suppose you come and decipher for me the motto underneath the french scene in the further parlor and taking toad's offered arm the daughter of the millionaire moved down the long parlor by his side mr burge coming at that moment from the dining-room passed the two then turning back sought his wife to say the experiment has succeeded theodore is promenading with dora hastings the splendid girl said mrs burge energetically i knew she would meantime theodore had resolved on a bold stroke for the master do you remember anything connected with that verse miss hastings he asked as the two entered the almost deserted back parlor indeed i do dora answered eagerly i never forgot it and your earnest questions about it and i could tell you so little i found out a great deal about it though taking the information that you gave me for a starting point and i have reason to thank god that you ever showed me your little card but do you know anything more of the matter now experimentally i mean dora's voice trembled a little as she answered 
i think i sometimes i hope i do i am trying to learn a little stumbling along slowly and oh so many drawbacks and you do know i think my interest in these things dates back to that stormy evening in prayer meeting when you asked me such queer questions at least i thought them queer then no more standing aloof during that evening for theodore mallory it mattered little how his clothes were cut or of what material they were made so long as dora hastings walked through the rooms and chatted familiarly with him not a girl present but stood ready to follow her example later in the evening dora said to him hesitatingly and almost timidly mr mallory i don't like you to think that i was making sport of that bible verse i truly know almost nothing about french and i didn't take the sense of it in the least until you read it there was another thing that the young man was very anxious to know and that was whether her motive was mischief or kind intent when she called on him and like the straightforward individual that he was he asked her what possessed you to suppose i could read it oh said dora innocently i knew you were a french scholar because mr burge told me so some way it was an immense satisfaction to theodore to know that dora's intention had not been to make light of his supposed ignorance as he went home in the moonlight he laughed a little and indulged himself in his old habit of soliloquizing it's just the matter of fine boots and gloves and a few other things of that sort i did decide once this evening to push the thing through and make my way up in spite of gloves and boots and broadcloth and i would now but for one thing in fact i have we braved it through together that one girl is worth all the rest of them and she came to the rescue fairly and squarely if she had failed me i would have showed the whole of them a few things but she didn't and there's no occasion for making it such a martyrdom for any of them hereafter on the whole i'll manage to get dear old grandma mcpherson other work besides tailoring after this there is no earthly reason why i shouldn't dress as respectable as anybody i don't know but i owe it to mr stevens to do so yes sir i've changed my mind boots and broadcloth shall be my servants hereafter keeping in mind this new resolution theodore secured the first leisure moment and inquired of mr stevens what route to take going to have a new set of clothes questioned that gentleman in a tone of polite indifference not at all as though he had watched and waited for the development of that very idea well let me see i think barnes and houghton will serve you quite as well as any they are on wait i will give you their address the hour in which theodore had chosen was not a fashionable one at the great establishment of barnes and houghton and he found some half-dozen clerks lounging about with no more important occupation than to coax some fun out of any material which chanced to fall in their way i want to look at some business suits began theodore addressing the foremost of them with a slight touch of hesitancy and embarrassment it was new business to him then i'd advise you to look at them by all means always do as you want to when you can as well as not my boy 
was the answer which he received spoken in a tone of good-humoured insolence and not a clerk moved would you like a white vest pattern or perhaps you would prefer velvet queried a foppish little fellow and theodore who was sharper at that style of talk than any of them and was rapidly losing his embarrassment replied in a tone of great good humour i never pick out my goods until i see them but then perhaps the vest you have on is for sale are you the show block this question put with great apparent innocence produced a peal of laughter for the vest in question was rather too stylish to be in keeping with the wearer's surroundings and business an older clerk now interposed show him something charlie that's a good fellow can't said charlie from his seat on the counter i'm too busy besides i don't believe we could suit him we haven't anything in the style his clothes are cut there's a man right around the corner whose father made coats for noah's grandsons hadn't you better go to him i say put in he of the stylish vest can't you call in some other time when business isn't quite so pressing you see we're just about driven to death this morning just how far this style of treatment would have been carried or just how long theodore would have borne it cannot be known for with the conclusion of the last sentence every clerk came suddenly to a standing posture and two of them advanced courteously to meet a newcomer at the same moment that a gentleman with iron-gray hair with whom theodore took to be one of the proprietors emerged from a private office and came forward on the same errand and the young man nearly laughed outright when he recognized in the newcomer mr stevens the two gentlemen were shaking hands glad to see you again mr stevens said he of the iron-gray hair how can we serve you this morning nothing for me personally thank you and then mr stevens turned to theodore do you find what you wish mallory mr houghton let me make you acquainted with this young friend of mine mr mallory mr houghton this young man mr houghton is one of my confidential clerks a very highly valued one and any kindness that you can show him will be esteemed as a personal favour to me mr houghton bowed his iron-gray head very low very happy to have mr mallory's patronage trusted they would suit him had he looked at goods what should they have the pleasure of showing him this morning cummings show mr mallory into the other room and serve him to the best of your ability and what shall be said of the half-dozen clerks amazement confusion and consternation were each and all vividly depicted on their faces mr stevens's clerk a highly valued clerk mr stevens of all men in the city the last to be offended disgrace and dismissal stared them in the face for a little minute theodore was tempted half a dozen dignified words now and he understood mr stevens's position well enough to know that these same clerks would not be likely to offend in the same place again one little moment the next he turned on his heel and followed cummings the aforesaid charlie whose face was blazing into the next room a word though of private exhortation could not be amiss 
you blundered you see this time he said to cummings still good-naturedly wouldn't it be well enough not to judge a fellow always by the cut of his coat you're a brick burst forth the amazed cummings i expected to be blown higher than a kite and get my walking ticket besides you're the best-natured fellow i ever saw you're mistaken again my friend i lost my good nature almost entirely and came within a word of telling the whole story only one little thing hindered me what was it why i was reading in a very old book just before i came out this morning and one sentence read whatsoever ye would that men should do to you do ye even to them and i thought to try it humph said cummings but no descendant of the royal line could have been served more royally than was our friend mallory at that house by that young man then and thereafter End of chapter 17